the end is the end. Verse 29, what Eric just read, the work of God is that you believe in Him who He sent. Uh, This is the end of today. And when I say end, I don't mean conclusion. I mean the goal, the purpose. The end of today and the end of work is that you believe in whom He has sent. Um, Let's pray and we'll uh, dive into this message this morning. God, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for this opportunity for us to study Your Word, Father. And I pray that You would uh, guide our words and guide our thoughts this morning, God, as we seek to uh, listen closely to what You have to say to us, Father. I pray that You would... uh, supernaturally illuminate your word to our hearts, God, and I pray that you would free us from distraction, uh, bind the enemy this morning, that we might uh, just listen closely to what you have to say to us. And God, uh, we also just ask that your son would be glorified and magnified this morning. It's in his perfect name. Amen. So we're in our series, The Gospel in Life, and this morning, as Dave has talked about and you may know from just doing the study that we're talking about work this morning and, and how the gospel shows up in what we do, in our work. Uh, and every time I've gotten up to talk about the gospel in life in this series, I, I want to remind us and put the banner over us that we are trying, seeking to understand, to encapsulate the fullness of the gospel and press it down into the very fabric of who we are so that as we operate and live and interact with the world and with people and with our work and with community and with our hearts and all those things that the gospel just gets pressed out and into our lives. And so, again, I just reiterate that to you guys this morning that we are intending to look into the gospel and see how a looking into the gospel and applying the gospel to our lives will work its way out into what we do. Um, in, the, in the book that we're reading, The Gospel in Life, Keller <clears throat> says this, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. I'll let that sit on you for a second. In the context as we talk this morning about what it means for the gospel to influence how we work. There is not one square inch over this creation over which God is completely sovereign that that Christ is not saying, that's mine. So as you walk into your office or as you uh, parent your children, as you, whatever you do, the work that you do, whether you're employed or not employed or whether you're choose your job or have your job chosen for you or any of those things, understand that God intends for the gospel to flow out of you in that context. When you close your office door, gospel. When you cut your front yard, gospel. When you engage your neighbors, gospel. When you gather with people to drive to Joplin, Missouri to help tornado relief. Gospel. There is not one area of your life over which Jesus is not sovereign, that he's not claiming mine. I want to influence that area of your life for the purpose of 
of the world understanding our gospel. Um, so as we, we think and talk about work this morning, I want to kind of set the stage for um, kind of the greatest understanding of this that I've ever experienced, and it's my dad. Um, I've kind of told the story before, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again because I haven't told it to everybody that's here. Um, <clears throat> my dad is, uh, he, for 35, 40 years, I don't know, for like his whole career, uh, except for maybe the first year and a half of it when he was a school teacher, um, has worked in the insurance business. He writes, insur- he's an insurance agent, and he worked his way up to become uh, part of this firm called C.J. Thomas, and there's like 10 different smaller firms that make up this larger firm called C.J. Thomas. And uh, my dad is the director of the smaller firm and puts him on the board of directors of C.J. Thomas. And these guys are all like, career driven a couple of like multimillionaires that that run the business and and make up cj thomas and uh my dad is is one of those 10 partners and i never really knew this until i went to work for my dad right out of college i worked for my dad and that's the other part of my bivocationalness of of who i am uh is working for my dad i never knew this until i first started working for him out of college is that there's 10 partners 10 guys just like my dad uh and there is there's a very present like ridicule and condescension towards my dad because of the choices that he made in his career, all right? These guys are multimillionaires and they've poured their lives working 80 hours a week. This is their life to sell insurance. Shed a tear for them. Uh, <clears throat> but for my dad, I, I never knew this side of it. What I, what I knew growing up and as a kid through grade school and high school and college and all those things, I knew that my mom and my brother and I were the most important thing in guiding and directing who we were, shaping our character, shaping us, playing in the backyard with us. All those things were absolutely more important. I knew that several times a week at 3 o'clock when I got home from school, my dad was going to be there so he could take us to go and do something. Uh, or... I knew that there would be times in the summertime where my dad would just take a day off of work to go and, and do something with us. Or if I had some sort of tournament, he never missed a thing. He was always there because for him, his work was a vehicle to get to invest in his family, which is where God had called him to be. And that's all that I knew growing up was that my dad was around and he was investing in, in me. And then fast forward to me being able to work for him and watch this interaction. And, and I know that my dad experiences direct and indirect condescension and ridicule because of the choices that he makes. If he's not a career-driven guy that, like, this is not the absolute most important thing in his life, the people that he works with, the directors, and, the, and they have meetings with their board of directors, and they're, like, fights and yelling, and, you know, you can think about all those things that are happening, and a lot of that was, like, whenever there was a, my, my dad wanted his voice to be heard in that, that meeting, those meetings, he was less than the other guys in their room, because, oh, he's, he's not career-driven, he's not focused, so he, he sacrificed those things so that we could be and live, and so that's the, the picture that I want to paint for us this morning, for us to understand that God has a purpose and a direction and a reason for the job that you have, 
And if you choose to allow the gospel to flow out of your life in your workplace, you're going to experience some ridicule and some scorn. But I want to say this too, that the people that work for my dad there would, there's a couple of people that have worked for him like from the beginning. And they would do whatever because they understand that their lives and, and my dad's life is not just about the work, but it's the work as a vehicle to get the purpose and direction of, of your life done. And so while there, you will receive scorn and ridicule and, and condescension and all those things, God begins to work not only in you but through you. And, and I see that in the, the lives of the people that work for my dad. And, and I'm, I'm one of those guys. So that is the, that's the, kind of the, the banner that I want to put in front of us, is that understanding that God has a purpose and a plan for you, and uh, you can get slapped around a bit. So I want to bring about three points as we, we look through those first 29 verses, that long passage that Eric read for us to begin with. Uh, first, there is intrinsic value in the work that you do intrinsic value in the work that you do. Um, <clears throat> in the story, there's a physical need that's met by Jesus. Jesus has taught these people, and then uh, they've been following him and all day long, and so Jesus says, we need to, we need to feed these people and, and give, them, give them food. And so as, as he communicated with these people, he had them sit down, and they passed out food, and a physical need is being met. Um, one of, the, one of the visions that we have, we have a, if you've been on our website or, or looked at our, we don't have a big grand vision statement. We have a bunch of short vision statements. And one of them is to meet the needs of people in God-called ways. Because there is a, there's a depth to, uh, to meeting needs that, is, that goes beyond the physical and into the spiritual. And here, Jesus is, is investing in these people. And so I, I want us to to think about the work that you do and in this way, that there is intrinsic value in what you do, bringing redemption to the world, to a, a piece of the world where you are. For these people, there is, when I say redemption, I mean there was good, it was broken, and restoration or redemption has been brought to that place. For these people, they were hungry. And the redemption that Christ brought to them was to feed them. It's very, very simple. But when we understand that there's brokenness in our world, and the reason that we work is because there's brokenness in our world, and God designed for us to work, to labor, to toil, so that we can see and understand that what we do brings redemption. So I, I want you to think through what it is that you do. And, and I know that there are, like, stay-at-home moms that are here with us this, this morning, and, and there are people who, who work 60 hours a week here with us this morning, but I want us to understand that whatever we do, whether it's in our job, whether it's our employment, or, or just the, the way we, we spend our lives in work, that there is intrinsic value in that it brings redemption into the world, all right? So uh, think through this idea. Whether you're paid or unpaid, whether you like your job or don't, or whether your job was chosen for you or not, there is intrinsic value in what you do because you're bringing redemption about. Uh, Tim Keller says this, uh, work is about taking raw material, rearranging it for the purpose of human flourishing. 
Let that one pause for a second. Let that one sit on you. The, your work, what you do, and, and get like clocking in and clocking out in your job, your profession. Get that out of your mind. But the work that you do, it becomes easier to see the gospel and how you do this when you understand that the work that you're doing is about taking raw materials in some facet, whether it's a, a life and raising a child, or whether it's uh, working with, with chemistry, or whether it's teaching school, or, or whatever it is, that there's, there's a raw material that, that you're working with to bring about redemption in that life, in that world, in that area. And when you labor, there is intrinsic value. And so there's an opportunity for you to bring the gospel into that setting. When I say this morning to bring the gospel into your workplace, I'm not saying you go into the break room during lunch and you sit down and you share the gospel with somebody. You're a sinner, Jesus died for you, and he brings eternal life. That's a great thing, sharing the gospel with someone. But that's not what I'm talking about when I'm saying bringing the gospel to work. Bringing the gospel to work can look an awful lot like just working really hard and pouring and investing who you are into your job and allowing the people around you to understand that this is not the end of who you are, but the end is, in fact, the gospel. It's about modeling the gospel through working hard and through, through working well. Uh, in the story that we read here, Jesus is... There's a lot of hard work. Imagine 5,000 people. Okay, this, when, when we read a familiar story in Scripture, I always want to say, get past the familiarity and understand what's happening here. There are 5,000 people. 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. And there are 12 disciples. So 12 people are going to be serving 5,000. Those 12 disciples worked really, really hard. They did a lot of of life there. And this is, if you didn't know, this is like the desert area that they're in. So it's like yesterday I was at Six Flags with my family and, and I, it was exhausting and really hard because it was so hot, but I was at the freaking water park. All right. And so this is really hard work. So these people are investing, meeting a physical need, bringing about redemption. It's They're, they're feeding these people, but ultimately when you boil it down, they're bringing about redemption. They're fulfilling a broken need inside of these people, and, and it's hard work. And so what happens is the intrinsic value of that work, Jesus uses it and turns it upside down on these people. Uh, the next thought, God's plans are bigger than ours. We are, in your job, you're to work and obey and understand that God's plans are much bigger than your own. Flip over to, to verse 5, and I'm in case you didn't know, we're in John 6, verse 5. This is where it's, it's starting to, to happen. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? That's the job, bread, so that these people can eat. That's the job that's there. And then verse 7, or verse 6, is where Jesus is above the situation, bigger than the situation. And for us, we can trust and understand that as we work, Jesus is bigger than this. He said this to test them, for he knew what he was going to do. In your work, understand that God has ordained you to be there, to do what you're doing, to be with who you're, who you're there with, and he wants the gospel to flow out of you, to show your hard work and effort and energy so that you can direct people to the gospel in you, and the gospel that's coming out of you. 
because Jesus is bigger than, than you are, and the plans that he has are bigger than your plans. Um, there's a, a friend of mine that I got to hang out with. I, I, I spoke to a, a bunch of college students who were going to be summer missionaries this summer uh, on Wednesday night, and then got to hang out with them on Thursday. And kind of the guy that directs that is a friend of mine named David Hendrick, and he told me the story this week. Um, when he was in college, or right out of college, 22, 23-year-old, uh, communism had just fallen, and Russia was just now open to, uh, to missionaries coming and, and, you know, being on mission in Russia. So David has this, this heart for mission, and so he goes to Russia. Um, this little town uh, called Karbarovsk, about uh, six, seven hundred thousand people. I said little town. It's a big city. Six, seven hundred thousand people in Khabarovsk. And he goes there, and again, communism has just fallen. The gospel is just allowed to come into the city where people can actually preach. And so he goes there, and there had been a guy that, that had there begun, beginning to just kind of be a, a life missionary, not, not with a specific goal, just beginning to spread the gospel around the city. And so David goes and connects with this guy, um, and David's goal is to support this guy in developing a Bible school in this, this city where they can, the, the converts can come and then they can filter them through this Bible school so they can learn the Bible and then they can learn to teach the Bible. So that's the, the strategy is to win converts and then try and push them to this Bible school so that they can eventually leave and some indigenous people can go and, and lead the church that's there. Uh, and so David is a part of this, and, and he starts this Kabarovsk Bible school, okay? And he's, he actually is there for about two years, and during the process of that two years, a short-term missionary comes, and a part of that short-term missionary group is the lady that eventually becomes his wife. So he meets his wife there. Um, God is bigger than us. We go someplace and meet our wife. Uh, and so David is there for a couple of years, and then uh, comes back and spends about five or six years in, in Africa and, and five or six years in the Middle East, and now he's back here in the St. Louis area, and he's planting a church uh, in, like, Troy, Illinois. Uh, and so what happens, uh, that's all the setup for this story. Uh, David is in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he is at McDonald's in Edmond, Oklahoma, with two of his small children at a wedding of his brother-in-law, or his, his wife's brother-in-law or something, it, kind of a removed situation for him. And he's in McDonald's, and he hears this guy speaking Russian uh, as he's, like, getting ketchup for his kids or something. He hears this guy speaking Russian, and, and it's been years since David has been there, but he's still, he's kept up fluency with his Russian. And so he turns to this guy and says, how you doing in Russian? And they have this little superficial conversation uh, in Russian. And so David's like, hey, that was fun. It brought back great memories of me being in Khabarovsk. And he goes and, and sits down and begins to have lunch with his, with his kids. And this guy that he had this conversation with walks up to him and says, were you ever, a, a, were you ever in the, the northeast of, of Northeast Asia, Russia? Yeah, I was. That's, that's where I've spent a couple of years. Maybe in a in town called Khabarovsk? And he says, yeah. That's great. Are you from Khabarovsk? He said, yeah. And he goes, you were a missionary. You planted a Bible school where, uh, where I learned to teach. And David's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing now? Well, God used that school that you did, that you, you started, and, and invested in who I am, and, 
and loved who I was and taught me how to teach Scripture. And now I, I live in Florida and I teach Russian refugees in Florida the Bible. David didn't want to go to Russia. Communism had just fallen. He's 23 years old. He's scared to death. God called him there. He met his wife. He met this guy who now is teaching Russian refugees in Florida the Bible. If David doesn't go to Russia, this school doesn't get started. This guy probably is never a Christian, and now he's in Florida teaching people the Bible. God is bigger than you. And here's the beautiful part about that that David got to experience. There's no reason for David to be in Edmond, Oklahoma. There's no reason for this guy who lives in Florida to be in Edmond, Oklahoma. But he's going to Oregon to help another Russian refugee camp that's in Oregon start a Bible school up there. It's just ridiculous. It's absurd. Except for the fact that God is bigger than us. And, and what I want to say to you this morning is the work that David got to do 12, 15 years, whatever it is later, David got to experience some of the fruit of that. That if some random brother-in-law hadn't gotten married in Edmond, Oklahoma, and this guy hadn't blah, blah, whatever the, the circumstances of that hadn't happened, David would have never known this. But what kind of energy does that give to David to like, man, God is behind the work that I'm doing. And understand this, God is behind the work that you're doing. God is bigger. So very much bigger than you or your silly little plans. And there are probably people walking all over the face of the earth that have been impacted and invested in what you're doing. David's work was very specifically to start a Bible school. Your work may be to dig a ditch or to make a widget or whatever. But understand that that product, the effort that you're pouring into that product can, can bring about redemption in somebody's life. And it's vital. And if God is big enough to feed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch, or God is big enough to change the hearts of Russian refugees in Florida through the willingness and obedience of uh, a young Midwestern American kid. God is big enough to change the silliness that you do or, or whatever it is that you think your work is that, that has a lack of eternal perspective or whatever it is. Understand that God is bigger than that. The third thing for us to bring our attention and mind to is simply verse 27. Looking for something to memorize this week. Here's something good. Verse 6, 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Um, you do well to memorize that verse and meditate on it and think through it and understand that the heart of it. In, in everything that we do, absent of the gospel or absent of a, a continual understanding of the gospel, our brokenness and God's perfect redemption and, and, and the, the, the beauty and truth of all that, that we will work for food that spoils. You will work for food that spoils. But God is pressing in on us with the gospel to say, don't work for food that spoils, but food that endure, endures to eternal life. I want to bring out four 
points within this point, because this is really the, the heart of, of what we're doing. There is a spiritual, God-ordained aspect to your work. Preach that to your heart every day in the monotony of what you're doing. I go to work Monday to Thursday selling insurance, and there is a monotony to it. There's a monotony to the work that, that you guys do. But understand that there is a spiritual, God-ordained aspect to your work. Think about David's story. Give yourself to it. Understand there's a purpose to it. Know that this is your work. This is what God has called you to do, whatever your job. Just like in our story in in verse, verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. What's happening here, we can see it, we know the end of this story, but Jesus ultimately says, gives these disciples a really big job. Okay, I want you to go have all 5,000 of those people sit down. And we're going to feed them, so I need you to set them down in in an orderly way so that we can feed them properly. That's a huge job. We can get lost in the monotony of trying to, hey, can you guys, you... 400 people, can you sit right here? And then we're going to move you 400 people over here and, and trying to communicate that without, you know, there's no microphones. We're, there's, it's a really hard, really difficult task. There's a, a deep monotony there, but there is a spiritual aspect to it and a God-ordained aspect to it because God, is, Jesus here, is going to eventually use this physical reality to teach a spiritual reality. And that's the, the second point here under the three is that God uses the physical reality to, to teach spiritual realities. And here's, I, I've been taught this my whole life, but I've really begun to, to continue to understand it, that God teaches us all the time in us and through us. The work of the disciples, as they were reflecting on this, and individual time that Scripture talks about later, of God is teaching the gospel, spiritual realities in the hearts of these disciples, but also through these disciples. So as you work, understand that God is teaching in you and, and through you. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves after they sat the 5,000 people down. Jesus then took the loaves when he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were in need, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Go back and and read that again, understanding that God is using a physical reality to teach a spiritual reality and working in the disciples and through the disciples. Every single person who was there had a physical need that was being met by Christ. There was redemption that was happening in their stomachs. Their stomachs are empty, now they're full, that's redemption. There's a perfect, beautiful, spiritual reality there, and God is teaching the physical, using the physical to eventually teach the spiritual. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. That's a full belly brings vision to who Christ is because Christ was about the gospel and his disciples were about the gospel and for us when we bring redemption to the world in a way that is about the gospel people's minds and attention are directed towards Christ 
The third thing, Jesus is the active spiritual agent. Jesus is the active spiritual agent. Look, think back to the, the David Hendricks story, the guy in Russia. David just, okay, God, I'll go to Russia and teach these people, and I'll go and build a school. He had no idea of the work that was being done by this. There was some atheist Russian guy who would be one to Christ, who would learn in this school, and who would go to Florida. No idea any of this stuff was going to happen because Jesus is the active spiritual agent. The only thing, the only task for you to do is to work hard and pay attention to the gospel. That's it. Let Jesus do what Jesus does. And understand that there are people years and years away from what you'll do, generations and generations removed from what you'll do, that will experience the investment that you make. Yours is only to do what, you're, what you've been called to do. Christ is the active spiritual agent. The last thing for us to connect with is what this brings our mind to is the gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about your work. It's about Jesus. This story is designed to teach us this. We have come to the understanding that in all that we do, this life is not about you or me. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. You and I are dead people apart from Christ. Unable to connect with God without the initiating work of Jesus. He is the spiritual and active agent in our hearts, and he's the spiritual and active agent in what we do. The gospel is not about us. And if we come to grips with the truth of this, that without Christ and his initiating work, we are helpless and worthless and without hope. This changes everything that we do, especially the way we work. You are a beautiful thing created to be in a beautiful, rhythmic relationship with God, but sin has destroyed that, and Jesus has come to bring redemption to that. And that cycle is what has happened in our lives, and we get to go and live it out in this world to see brokenness, invest ourselves into that brokenness, and bring about redemption to that brokenness, and then allow Christ to work inside of that heart. That is the purpose of work. That is what the gospel in life in regard to work is all about, is seeing brokenness, investing in it, allowing Christ to work the spiritual purpose of that. That is the gospel in life. That is our motivation for work, to work for food that endures to eternal life. Think about, as as I was telling the, the story about David and Russia, think about, I'm looking around at your eyes and, and I'm seeing like smiles coming across your face and people nodding and, and tears coming to the eyes of a few of you guys to, to think about that. Just one guy pouring out of who he was and God using that. It's a picture of, of verse 27. Do not labor for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Let that press deep into your soul. That is the gospel in life, in work. 
understand that God has a, a, is bigger than you, has a bigger picture of, of what's happening, it has perspective, the eternal perspective, and work for food that endures to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to, to look into your word, Father. God, and I pray for courage to be poured into each of us, Lord, that you would cause us to dive into the work that you've given us to do, Father. God, may we look past our employment, Father, and look into all that you've given us to do, the work that you've given us to do, Father. God, for the parents in the room, Lord, would you cause us to pour the gospel into how we parent? For each of us in the room, God, just draw our minds and our attention to the work that you've given us to do, and may we maybe pour into that work and bring about redemption and that allow you to work in and through us in proclaiming the gospel as we bring redemption, as we bring energy into our work, God. God, press through the core of who we are to know the beauty of who you are. God, you are so big and so beautiful and so high and above us. Lord, we give these moments over to you as we respond to you, Father. God, allow us to hear you as we respond. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.